All right, if you uh, can open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, we're in the third chapter. We're going to kind of just jump right into the text here in a second, starting in verse 10. But again, as, as I like to, to uh, locate our context, remind us of what is happening in this letter. At the end of chapter 2, as we move into chapter 3, and really the whole of 1 John 3 is about one particular theme, and that's being a child of God. 1 John 3 wants to help us understand if we're children of God, what does that mean? What does it look like? What implications does that have for us? Last week, we talked about how if we're God's children, we need to know what Jesus is like. Because we're actually going to imitate him. We're going to be like Jesus, the Son of God. And so, the beginning of 1 John 3, John says, to, to, to know what it is to be a child of God, first, think about what you're going to be like someday, right? Every child of God is going to be like Jesus when he returns. We're going to be like him on that day. So we need to have an, a forward-thinking mindset about what Jesus will do when he comes again. But he also says, let's look back and remember what Jesus was like when he came to the earth the first time. And especially the power he had to take away sin. The power he had to break darkness. The power he had to bring light to dark places. The power he had to defeat what the devil wants to do in our lives and instead bring about what God the Father wants to do in our life. If you're a child of God, think about who Jesus was. Think about who Jesus is when he comes again. That was last week. Today... We're going to continue to think about what it means to be children of God. But now John wants to focus particularly on our actions in the present moment. How what we do demonstrates whose children we are. What we do demonstrates who, what father, what family we are imitating. And he actually says there's a couple different families we might find those actions imitating. One one is good and one we need to be, be wary of. So let me pray for us as we look at 1 John 3, verses 10 through 19. Lord Jesus, this is your word. It speaks about you. It's inspired by you. It's testimony by a person and in a community of, of people who were transformed because, because you came to the earth because you drew them into relationship with you. And you changed the world through their witness, their lived witness, their loving witness, through the power of your spirit. Jesus, we invite you to do that work in us today, through this word, through our response to it. So may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of our hearts be conformed to you, be pleasing to you imitate you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Start with 1 John 3, just 10 and 11 to start out. John says, this is how we know who the children of God are and how we know who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message we have heard from the beginning, 
we should love one another. John's asking and he's answering the question, whose children are you? And he says, this is how we know. It's sort of a kind of spiritual paternity test that John is giving us. As one commentator puts it, these verses tell us who's your daddy. Whose children are you? Who do you belong to? And in order to establish, to give us certainty about what family we belong to and belong in, John doesn't use a a DNA test or some kind of lab results. John applies a simpler criteria. And he says, throughout history, we, we know that children tend to reveal who their parents are through their actions, through their character, through their personality, through the process of imitation. Right? You want to know who a child belongs to, well, look at what they do, and, and that's probably an imitation of the family to which they belong, the father to which they belong. Right? Verse 10 says, this is how we know who are God's children, who are children of the devil. Who do they imitate? And John says, specifically, do they imitate what is right, what is true, what is righteous? Do they love, do we see them loving their brother and sister? And if so, then then their lives are answering, they're revealing that question of, of who they belong to, who is their father. And if they do not, then their lives are also, our lives are also answering that question. And so beginning in verse 12, John explains that our lives can belong to one of two possible families. We can actually be siblings, he says, of of one of two possible brothers. We can be part of the family of Cain, starting in verse 12, or we can be part of the family of Jesus which picks up in verse 16. So let me start first with the family of Cain. We are warned not to be part of this family. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why? Why did Cain murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains or or abides in death. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding or residing in him. These verses warn us, do not belong to the family of Cain. Don't be part of that lineage. Don't imitate that family. And in case you're You're sort of foggy on the details of Cain and Abel in that story. One, you could ask our our second grade Sunday school class. Christian was just telling me they've they've enacted and studied this this story quite recently, so they've got it fresh in their minds. 
Or you could go back to your Bibles, look at Genesis 4, and you'll read about this story. Cain and Abel, right? They were the, the first two sons born to Adam and Eve after the fall, after that, um, that rebellion in the garden. They are able, God's mercy is, is to give them a family, to give them children. But as these two sons grow up, it says that one brings their offerings to God, and God is pleased. Right? Abel brings his sacrifice into the Lord's presence, and God looks upon Abel's sacrifice with pleasure. But when Cain brings his sacrifice to the Lord, for whatever reason, the, the scripture does not elaborate, God is, is not pleased. There's, there's something about the way in which Cain offers his gift to the Lord that, that doesn't please the Lord. And, and the result is that Cain becomes jealous of his brother Abel. He became, becomes angry toward his brother Abel, and, and hatred starts to grow in Cain's heart. Genesis 4 says that that hatred grows and grows until one day when they're out in the fields working together, Cain murders his brother, Abel. He's overcome with hatred. John, in this passage, tells us that in choosing to, to take away the life of his brother, Cain demonstrates that he belonged to the evil one. He abided in the evil one. He was part of, of the devil's family, John says. Because he gave space and, and room and invitation for hatred to grow in his heart. Right? He, he left the abiding love and worship of God, and he chose to let sin and anger and jealousy and hatred overcome him. And so Cain becomes a child of the devil, but John also says that that in a way, he also becomes the first of many brothers and sisters in that family line. Right? Cain is like the older brother to, to everyone else right, who has, has been deceived and lured into the trap of hatred and jealousy and bitterness ever since. In verse 15, John says, Anyone who hates their brother or sister is a murderer just like we might say, well, well, that seems awfully strong, John, right? Just to hate someone is to, to become like Cain, who, who acted out, lashed out in that hatred and, and murdered someone. But these aren't even just John's own thoughts, right? John actually heard these words out of the mouth of Jesus, right? Who in the Sermon of the Mount said, right, to call someone a fool, to call your brother an idiot, right? To harbor that kind of thought in our in our hearts is to become a murderer. Is to allow our hearts to move into the same place that, that murder takes us. Right? Because when we hate a brother or sister, we begin to despise the image, despise the love, despise the, the creative power that God has put in that person. However broken they are, however imperfect the person we hate is, by choosing to hate them, we are despising someone God has created and someone that God loves. 
so in hatred, we're actually setting ourselves in opposition, not just to a person, but to God himself. Verse 14 here says, when we hate another, another brother or sister, not only do we become like murderers. He says, we are, we are actively choosing to make our home in. He says, to remain in a place of death. Anyone who does not love remains, abides, dwells in death itself. Think about that that image or that statement for a moment. That when you give place in your mind or your heart or eventually even in your actions to be bitter against another brother or sister, to tear them down inside, to grow jealous of them, to despise them. John says that, that's essentially like choosing to build your house on a, a place called death. Right? None of you, if you were going to build your dream home, would go out and purchase a lot, you know, and, and the foundation of which is, is death itself, is darkness, is, is putridness, is, is decay. Right? You would look for something beautiful to build your home on. But John says when we refuse to love any brother or sister. We're making our dwelling place in death itself. And we might ask, well, why would anyone choose to do that? Why would any of us choose to hate a brother or sister, knowing how insidious it is? But in these verses, I think John says that usually when we begin to hate another person, it often has something to do with our own insecurity. It actually is, is very often connected to our own sin, our own guilt, our own shame. Right? We're most prone to hate someone else when we don't know what to do with all the stuff inside of us, with all of our own sin. Verse 12, he says... Why did Cain murder his brother? Because he perceived that his own actions were evil. That there was shame and guilt there. And that his brothers were righteous. And so he he lashed out. And in a sense then, hate is this way, it's, it's almost like a shield we put up to protect our own sin. To protect our own brokenness. We feel vulnerable, and and so we begin to hate someone or something else. We project our own guilt and our own sin onto some other place, rather than coming into the light with our own sin, with our own pain, with our own guilt. Right? Hate seeks to destroy anything that might reveal what's really going on inside of us. Hate seeks to destroy anything that might expose where we actually hurt most deeply, where we have the deepest need in our lives. And John doesn't really speak to this here, but in my own life, and I I imagine in many of our lives, there's a way that we can even begin to turn our hatred inward, right? You can hate yourself. You can... You can turn your own pain inward on yourself as a, as a weapon 
because of, of all the guilt and shame you experience. And the devil traps us in that hatred. Whether it's for and toward ourselves or toward a brother and sister, we, we get stuck there. We camp out in this place of death and unresolved sin and anger, and it just grows in us. Genesis 4, it talks about sin lurking at our doors, ready to, to pounce on us and destroy us. And so John says, we could keep imitating Cain in the way he lived, in the way sin had mastery over him and hatred overtook him. And if we do, you can see the result. Right? That is a family that ends in tragedy and death. But if we want to move out of that family, if we, if we don't want to be mastered by hatred, verse 14 says there is a way to move from death into life. And it sounds impossibly simple. John says the way we move out of death and out of hatred and into life is by choosing to love. And the gospel that John has proclaimed from the beginning is that there is one who is love, who has come into the world to demonstrate the love of God. Right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son right? that anyone who would believe in him would not perish. And so now John, in, in verses 16 and following, is going to tell us about a better big brother, a better family to belong to, a better father to imitate than the one who would deceive and destroy us. He wants to tell us about the true son of God. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. And I would add how we choose what love is. We know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see that principle of imitation there. If anyone has material possessions and they see a brother or sister in need, but they have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's what Charlotte asked this morning up here. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and it's how we set our hearts at rest in God's presence. When we love one another in the way that Jesus has loved us. And if, if all we had was the story of Cain, if he was the only family line we could belong to, we would have every reason for despair. We would have no one to learn from what love is actually like. But John, from the beginning, says, this is the one we testify to. Right? The one I, I touched, I heard, I saw. The Son of God, full of heaven's glory, but fully human full of life and light and love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Let me tell you. If you want to know what love is, look at the person of Jesus. Don't just look at him, but be transformed by your gazing at him. A 
Abide in him. Build your life on him. Jesus can teach us love because Jesus did precisely the opposite of what Cain chose to do. Right? Cain saw what was righteous. He grew angry and he destroyed it because it made him vulnerable. It exposed his own heart. Jesus saw sin. Jesus saw unrighteousness. Jesus saw hatred and anger and jealousy. And he came into the world to save it, to redeem it, to break that power in our lives. He came to the offender. He came to the guilty one. He came to the person overcome with shame. John says he laid down his life for them. He didn't take their lives away from them. He gave his own life in their place. And moreover, Jesus did that, and he was hated as he did that for us. Right? As Jesus came to rescue us from this trap of hatred, he was opposed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was maligned. Jesus was eventually crucified for the ones he loved. Jesus was crucified because, John is saying, he was righteous. Jesus gave away his life because when other people hated him, he returned their hatred with truth and mercy, kindness, steadfast love. So John says, if if you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. This is what love is. You can't define love in any other way than through the person of Jesus Christ, through his incarnate life, through his his abiding presence in, in his people. Love is a person. It's an attachment. It's a living reality. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that that Jesus demonstrates his love because he gave us what we could not provide, what we had no resources to provide for ourselves. He gave us out of his own abundance. We couldn't see our own sin. We couldn't even see our own selves accurately. Jesus brings the light of the world to show us what we're really like. And then when we see what we're really like, we have no means by which to make up for that or or to resolve that or to heal that. And so Jesus brings his mercy to us. And he, he pours out his blood over us and he purifies us with his life laid down for us. And as we stand in that light and and we we wrestle with our own insecurities and and anxieties before the creator of the world, Jesus comes and he's our advocate. He stands beside us. And he says, this one is my brother. This one is my sister. I've given my life for their sin. And when we were condemned to, to the sentence of Cain and death, And abiding in that eternal place of death, Jesus came and he gave us the life. John says the life that's in him is is life to the fullest imagining. Life everlasting. That's what Jesus is. He's life, period. Jesus gave us of his life. Jesus gave us love, John says. And so in verse 17, 
says, if that's what love is, if we're learning love from Jesus, if we're his child, if we're his brother or his sister, then we've got to imitate him. Right? We, we, we've got to live our lives in the same way Jesus lived his. Jesus' command, as I have loved you, what? So love one another. And so John here, he gives us some, some physical examples. He says, if you meet a brother or sister and they have a need that you can meet, do it. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way we love each other. Don't just think about it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Imitate it. If you meet someone who's hungry, if you meet someone who's homeless, if you meet someone who's exhausted with their work, if you meet someone who's overwhelmed meeting the needs of their children, if you meet someone who is, is isolated and lonely, if you meet someone who's burdened by debt, if you have some small measure of gift, some small measure of fullness that God has given you and you could meet that need in some way, do it. Because you are a child of God and you've been shown what love is. And you imitate your heavenly father and his son Jesus when you do these things. That's a struggle for us. We know it's, it's what we should do we have a harder time choosing it. German pastor and eventually martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book Life Together that, that more often we love the idea of being a spiritual family, we love the idea or the dream of Christian community more than we actually like the people who are in it. <laughs> right, there's this disconnect between the love we hope for and we aspire to and the love we actually give and receive. And so here in verse 18, John says, Dear children, beloved children, don't just love with words or with speech, but love with actions and in truth. Right? Don't just say on Sundays that the people who are sitting next to you are your brothers and sisters. Make it an action. Make it a habit. Right? Choose to love them by walking in truth with them, which means maybe sometimes you have to tell them some stuff that's not fun to tell them, but because you love them, you're going to talk about it with them. And you're going to walk in, in love and in mercy and in truth with them. Choose to love your brother and sister by believing the best about them. Choose to love a brother or sister by giving generously of your time to them as you're able. Giving your support to them. Giving your encouragement to them. Naming where you see God working in their life. Actively love your brother and sister that when they fail you, when they fail to love you as they ought, that you extend mercy and forgiveness to them. The second half of John's letter, starting here, halfway through three, and then pretty much to the end of five, is going to be about the community of God's people. And how when we live this life together, and you're my brother, and you're my sister, and we're all this big family together, we're going to get a whole bunch of opportunities to act on what John's teaching us. We're going to have a lot of opportunity to love each other and to bear with one another when we fail at it. But John says this is how we actually grow up. It's how we become like Jesus when he returns. We start imitating him now. Finally, verse 19. John offers this as consolation and encouragement to us. 
Because we may, we may go back and forth. We may not know if we're God's children. We may, we may struggle with doubts and anxieties about that. And he says, let me give you one way to settle your hearts in God's presence. To know who you belong to. He says, the way you know you're God's children is when you experience the power of his love toward you and also moving through you. When you find yourself loving your brother and sister, it will affirm to you that God is present, God is working, God is doing stuff in in the depths of your heart. When you find yourself loving your brother or sister, not perfectly, not exactly and, and yet in the full way that Jesus does, but steadily growing in that love. You will, you will know that you are a brother or sister in the, in the faith. You will know that God is your father. And, and John says it will set your heart at rest in his presence. It's not that we do a bunch of loving things and then we say, God, see, I, am I, am I up, up to the test? Did I pass? Do you love me? That's not what John's saying. He's saying the more deeply we abide in Jesus, the more deeply we know we're his children, the more actively we choose to imitate him, the more actively we invite the love of Jesus to move through us in blessing our brother or sister, even sacrificially, it will confirm in us the Spirit lives in us. It will confirm in us that the Father is pleased to call us his children. And it will deepen that knowledge and that relationship. I'll leave the questions that you have on this card for you to read and to think about, but let me encourage you to, to find somebody to talk through these things, pray through, the, through these things with today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we confess we don't love like you. We don't look like you yet. And yet there's that incredible truth that behold, you call us your children and you still love us. And you're, you're committed to completing the work you've started in us. So we, we cry out for your mercy. We cry out for your strength. We cry out for your help. And we pray that you'd make this body a group of people that love each other deeply, in a costly way, in a steadfast way, in a way that the world can't understand but could only say they must have learned this from Jesus, the one who knows what love is. Pray these things in your name. Amen.